0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.
1: Today
0: FM. Now I'm delighted that we're joined for the Culture Club today by a man whose voice will be very familiar to you here on The Last Word. For many years when we talk about golf, he is the man that we go to because few people know and love golf as Lawrence Donegan does, the founder and editor of McKellar Magazine. But as many of you know, he has a backstory in the music business as well. So he's a perfect man to join us for the Culture Club. Lawrence, thank you very much for being with us today.
2: How are you doing, Matt? You surprised me. I had no idea that you knew. I genuinely didn't. What? I just thought you thought I was a golf guy.
0: Oh, no, no. We knew. We knew. But Lloyd wow. Cole and the commotions were very popular here in Ireland in the 1980s.
2: We certainly were. I I remember going to I can't some big award ceremony. We didn't win. REN won. I don't know what it was, best newcomer or something. And uh, spending a few days in Dublin, you know, getting absolutely hammered, I have to confess, uh, and some big award ceremony. But I do remember, uh, actually, uh, our first gigs uh, ever in Dublin. Uh, we We played the stadium and we played, which was a, a fantastic venue. I don't. Is it, I don't know if it's still there. And we played the following night because we were so popular, we they had to find us another. And we played SFX. I think it was. I think it was called yep, SFX. Absolutely. So there you go. Uh, so that was it. But actually, but I don't know if you know this as well. Before that, I was a member of a band called the Bluebells. Who I were actually not...
0: did not know that. And they had yes. a big hit. Wasn't it Young at Heart?
2: That's a that's a good story because I. Uh, we record to bore you here but we no, were no you're not boring record, this, tell us the story we recorded a song in uh, in inverness i i remember it was a dank december and we recorded four songs uh, with <laughs> the guy a guy called colin far colin farley who was um the producer john bonham's producer this is dating myself john bonham was a drummer in led zeppelin he specifically always asked for colin farley because colin would always have the drums very loud <laughs> Uh, And we recorded this song, and about two weeks later, I was fired from the Bluebells. So fast forward three or four months later, I was then in Lloyd Colham, The Commotions. And it was about, I think, May of 1984, and uh, Young at Heart came out, and it was a kind of top 20 hit, and uh, Perfect Skin came out from Lloyd Colham, The Commotions. So picture me as a 21-year-old running around Glasgow with two songs in the top 30.
0: Oh, Brian, but uh, then what about Top of the Pops? Pres- presumably both the Bluebells and Lloyd Cole and the Commotions would have been on Top of the Pops in that era. Right. Did somebody have to fill in for you with the Bluebells playing or miming your bass part?
2: Absolutely. And and there was a video, people still, miss, they still send me the video of uh, Young at Heart, the original video of Young at Heart with uh, Claire Grogan in it and they're in a nice green van. And uh, uh, the guy, I can't remember the guy who who was my replacement, but people always mistake, they always think I'm in that video and I'm not. But the big thing with uh, Young at Heart, fast forward 10 years, and it appeared on a Volkswagen advert and went to number one. That's when it really became a huge hit.
0: I hope you got loads uh, of royalties out of that, did you?
2: Uh, oh, I, oh, no. <laughs> I, I thought we were building
0: up to a no there, all right.
2: No. <laughs> no, I, I'm afraid I'm falling to the Gilbert O'Sullivan Sullivan category of getting absolutely screwed with royalties. But, I mean, who cares? You know, life is short. But... uh but we did get back together. I was then, by that point, I was working at The Guardian. And uh, the most I got of it, I got a G2 feature out of a. Uh, the band reuniting and and playing on top of the pop, so it was a, a, a kind of happy ending uh, for the on the Bluebells front. But yeah, and the Commotions was was the band that I'm probably uh, I've best known as probably pushing it. To, but you know, the people you know, if people know anything about my musical background, they would say, "Oh, and the Commotions."
0: Well, you we asked you for a favorite album, and you're quite entitled to nominate one of your own albums from this. So this is oh, the title yeah. track from Rattlesnakes.
1: They stay, stay on the cattleball the snakes she looks like
3: he in on the water she reads to multiple one
0: in her american
3: circumstance
1: And the never child still haunts her As she speeds down the freeway As she tries her luck with the traffic police Out of the and Spine She never finds no trouble She tries too hard She's obvious despite herself She looks
3: like he runs home
0: Tripping with informed cultural references there I know you played the bass but were you
2: involved in writing the songs as well Lawrence? Uh, I not Lloyd wrote all the all, all the lyrics, but I, I wrote a few. songs I wrote, actually wrote our biggest hit. I wrote the uh, the music for our biggest hit was a song called "Lost Weekend," which was on the second album. On that first album, I was very good at pastiches, Matt. I wasn't. Uh, the uh, so uh, "Lost Weekend" was basically a pastiche of "The Passenger" by uh, Iggy Pop. But on the first album, I wrote a song called uh, "Oh My God." Four Flights Up, which was really, I was listening to a lot of Bob Dylan at that time. You know, that uh, his, the first three songs of his electric period, Bring It All Back Home, uh, oh, whatever, I can't, you know, off the top of my head, Blonde and Blonde. Uh, so I wrote a song called Four Flights Up. It was essentially a Bob Dylan pastiche. But uh, I, listening to that record, I mean, that, that album came out 37 years ago. And it's still uh, really it's, good. It's, I, I, I swear to God, my, and this sounds terribly immodest, but it really does. It no, you should fresh. be proud of
0: it. You should be proud of it. Well,
2: yeah uh, yeah I, yeah, I, I talked to Lloyd most weeks actually was we don't talk about that a lot but yeah I, we are really proud of it and uh what what's remarkable, and you speak to novelists or not? that I speak to a lot of novelists but you know people have, you know why is the first album always the best and why is the, the first novel always the best or whatever and i listen to that record and it just seems so simple it's it's almost it's, it's simple when you the less you know the easier it is when we were just five kids Sitting in a pretty cheap studio in in East London, uh, and knocking this you know knocking songs out every day, and I think the album cost, I think the album cost just under thirty thousand pounds, which you know was a medium amount of money in 1984. But fast forward three or four years, and we're making an album, and it's costing four hundred thousand. Know, it was just you know tenfold. It's extraordinary because you're you're kind of lost. You eventually get get lost. Uh, and, and that's what happened to us. You know, we went in with that first record. It wasn't a. You know, people say, "Oh, we got all. You've had your whole life to, life to write the first ten songs. That's why the first album's great." Now you've got one year to write the next. It really wasn't like that. It was a, a kind of innocence. Uh, I, I and you, you just didn't overthink it, and you just went in, uh, and you just did it. And lo and behold, again, I get barely a day goes past without, I, I don't get an email or somebody will send me something on Twitter. Uh, yeah, p- people really l- love that record And, uh, you know, I-, I love it as well I'm-, I'm really proud of it
0: Tell us what other albums you love
2: Yeah, I, <laughs> when you guys asked me about this I, I felt kind of embarrassed because My, I mean, my taste seemed to be stuck You know, pre-1990 I mean, you know, my, my son's 16 And I, mean, I-, I just have turned into this terrible old person in the car Please turn that off Please turn that off <laughs> Uh, but but, but yeah, I'm kind of stuck again. When I was when I was a musician, I, you know, that's what the records I used to listen to. The same records again and again. You know, like Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. Again, hardly an original choice, but just a wonderful. When you, you think about it, I think it, was, it came out in 1968. You know, people always make the comparisons between Pet Sounds. Uh, and Sgt. Peppers, uh, because Sgt. Peppers, the Beatles album, was a response to Pet Sounds because it was so inventive and a genius and melodically just different. Uh, but Pet Sounds is streets ahead of, I always thought it was Pet, Pet Sounds was streets ahead of Sgt. Peppers. Um, uh, the other one I, I loved, again, I saw the band a, a few times around the time, it was Roxy Music, the third, the third Roxy Music album, Stranded. Again, slightly even at the time i think in 19 i can 1981 maybe 1980 time, you know Roxy music weren't seen because that was right in the heart of the punk revolution of which i was part i'm proud to say uh but Roxy were kind of a, seen as a mainstream band but listening back and you listen to it closely and it's just a, again a wonderfully complex uh a complex record melodically complex but great playing uh, good players uh, uh just a very stylish band and and you know, people sneered at the time. Roxy Music, well, they're not punk. But actually, you look back five, ten years later, and really, they really were. They were kind of different. Uh, so those two, and again, a band. Again, if you were in the, I'm sure it's the same in the Dublin music scene around that period, in the Glasgow music scene where I was imbued, Be uh, talking heads. There was a, there was a, uh, a group of American bands you know, who came out of New York, CBGB's, uh, television, Blondie, Talking Heads was another one. Again, Talking Heads were, you know, just in terms of inventiveness. And I think David Byrne has proved that, you know, in his career since. Uh, I Maybe mean, you could choose any one of the, the Talking Heads albums. But the great one to me is uh, is Fear Music, the third album, which, again, just a, a you know, great song after great song. Just a, you know, a, a brilliant inventive band. And actually, with Loy Cole and the Voices, it was one of the proudest nights of my life. We were playing a gig in New York. And, uh, lo and behold, who comes along, but t- 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 Tina Weymouth and Chris France, uh, the, the, the great rhythm section of talking heads and it, it got to meet them, which was, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of bad times in being in a rock band, but there's a lot of good times as well. And that, that was a really, you a mentioned really great the night.
0: Beatles, but you also picked out another Beatles album, Abbey Road.
2: I did. Yeah. I, I, later in my life when I was a journalist, I became a very good friend with a guy called Derek Taylor, who was the Beatles PR man. A really, a really cool old guy, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, he would have lunch with them all the time. And he was very into politics. And I was actually working in the House of Commons for a little time uh, for a, an MP pal of mine. And he, uh, you know, I used to get all the great Beatles stories. And I, the whole, my whole life, I always thought the best Beatles album was Abbey Road. And Derek told me one night, he said, you know, everybody goes on about Sgt. Peppers. But we, the Beatles gang, the Beatles themselves, the guys around the Beatles, they all knew that Abbey Road was, was the best record. And it is, it's just a magnificent uh, album. Again, great track after great track. Uh, I, it was always my favourite, always my favourite. And I've been listening to it a lot recently, simply because it's uh, the new uh, Beatles documentary. I don't know if you've seen it yet. You might have been the privileged pollution. No, I haven't. See it. Yeah. So that I think that comes out, uh, I think it comes out next week. Uh, six hours of... Uh, 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 of tapes, videos uh, done by Peter Jackson, uh, who did the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It, I'm really, really looking forward to that. But yeah, Abbey Road was again uh, was the one for me.
0: Well, let's hear a little bit of Come Together. Mm. Beatles from Abbey Road. Listen, go back to your early influences. We ask everyone who's on this culture club to try and remember what's the first bit of music that they ever bought. What's yours?
2: Uh, I I really remember, specifically remember this. Uh, It was a record store called Bruce's in Stirling, my hometown of Stirling in Scotland. Bruce Finley was the guy who I still know Bruce, he's still kicking around. I went in one Saturday, I I was working as a commie waiter, uh, Matt, uh, you know, 15 years old, and saved my money. And I went in and I bought uh, Oh, Bondage, Up Yours by X-Ray Specs. And <laughs> I'll never forget my mother's reaction when that came over. <laughs> and I bought Watching the Detectives by Elvis Costello. Uh, two great singles. Uh, I'm sure I've still got them in a box somewhere uh, buried in the basement of this house. Uh, I, I was really into John Peel at the time. Uh, and he played he played those two records on endless rotation. Uh, so that that was the, the first two The first two records I bought, took them home. My mother was appalled. Oh, what on earth is this? Uh, We were a nice Catholic family living in a rural Scottish town and, oh, bondage up yours was not... uh, And you
0: won't be surprised if I tell you, Lawrence, that's not the one we're going to play. We're going to play Elvis Costello (laughs) on the Attractions. (laughs)
2: Well, can I just a quick one, Matt? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, years with the Bluebell, it was amazing. Within, I, I when would that have come out? 1979? Two years later, I, I'm in a studio with the Bluebells working with uh, Elvis Costello, uh, which is, you know, it was pretty cool. i uh, say it was. And it, it really was. A really interesting and talented guy uh, uh, who was really into the Bluebells, believe it or not. And they took us on tour. Uh, which was quite something. Again, a bunch of we were we were teenagers, uh, touring around the UK with Elvis Costello and the Attractions, who were, despite their kind of punk image, were basically a bunch of old rockers from you know from London. Or well, I know Elvis is from from Liverpool, but they, they were a you know a seasoned you know if you get my drift, a seasoned rock and roll band, and we were just a bunch of you of know, wet behind the ears uh, kids. I can only but, imagine. Uh, yeah.
0: Let's hear a little yeah. bit of watching the detectives. Another great choice, Elvis Costello and the Attractions watching The Detectives. We need to take a break, but before we get to the break, let's talk about gigs, because I'd imagine as well as playing in many, you must have been at many. So what have you most enjoyed being at?
2: Well, most recently, I I think Arcade Fire are probably my favourite modern band, and they're not even a modern band. I saw them in Oakland, Oakland Arena, we live over here in the Bay Area, near San Francisco, Uh, just a brilliant. What? What? I think there's four or five albums now. What a collection of uh music, really. again, really interesting uh, in the round, very close to the stage. Really cool. You know, just a great music musical um, melodic band. But back, back in the day, we played in a great. A great. We played Glastonbury. We were uh, we played the Saturday night at the Glastonbury, which is a pretty good, uh, pretty cool night. But the one two we did a great tour uh, through the summer. Uh, we played a lot of outdoor gigs with a with U2, and the one I really, really remember uh, was a, a festival in in Belgium called Tourhut. Uh, and watching U2, uh, it was in a natural bowl. Maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand people there. I'm not really quite sure. And just the natural bowl with the sun setting, uh, watching from behind the stage, they were a uh, at that point you two were just they were uh, unforgettable fire had just come out uh i mean they were a magnificent rock and roll band i i, I loved you two at that point I, a lot of my most memorable gigs are U two I, I love them what was uh, it uh,
0: had they just this way of just commanding the audience just getting yeah, just everyone involved just, in what they were doing uh,
2: uh just a, a brilliant showman obviously uh Great players. I'm really underestimated. Again, when you're in the music industry, you, you know you're really are great players. You you look back at these U2 albums. Uh, you look back at say the Motown records. Motown records are 50 years old and they still sound fresh. And it's simply because the people playing them were great musicians. I mean, they were playing kind of simple stuff, but great, great musicians. And I thought U2 were really great players back then. Um, I, I, I you know what? I'm, when you come from Glasgow, my eyes, when you come from Glasgow, there's a great story about U2. They played at a place called Strathclyde University Union in 1981 with a local band called who, who nobody knew about at the time called Altered Images. And and it went round town. It was a great show, apart from anything else, but it went round town that U2, who were beginning to get quite big, were seen helping Altered Images up, up the six floors of uh, stairs with their equipment. Uh, you know, and that really... People just thought that was really cool. What a bunch of cool guys. Uh, so I guess U2's image has gone through many phases since then. But, you know, p- people like me from Glasgow, my generation, we, we remember them fondly. Uh, and I, I've i always loved them. Uh, even through Thick and Thin, I've always loved them. Laura, Sonny, uh, other can... gigs... Oh, yeah. No, we'll Sorry.
0: Give me one more because I do need to get to a break. and We've lots of other things to get to after it. Uh, uh,
2: again, just one... Uh, Again, from the same era, uh, late 70s, again, I was a kid. Uh, Glasgow Apollo Television I just uh, uh, came out with an album called Marky Moon, which was, uh, you know, really influential, very influential on Lloyd Cole and Commotions. That that one really sticks with me.
0: Okay, I'm going to start with um, podcasts, because apparently you're a podcast fanatic, are you?
2: I am. Um, I listen to, I have a stocks. I mean, I run quite a lot, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I, I mean, I have a stock set of uh, golf uh, podcasters I listen to, but we will going go into those too much. Uh, football, I'm a big uh, supporter of Glasgow Celtic Football Club. Uh, um, I, so I listen to a lot of those, so that's, that's off to one side. That's my running stuff. But again, you are at uh, so, so many choices. Uh, I guess my favourite, and I, I mean, I'm going to mention this because people don't really know it, it's a, it is a podcast called... Uh, Dead Eyes, um, which is just incredible, It's by an actor uh, I can't remember. Daniel Radcliffe, sorry, does it, his name doesn't matter. Connor Radcliffe, anyway, Connor Radcliffe, that's right. Sorry, so Connor Radcliffe is a kind of jobbing actor, and uh, he was. The story is based on. He went. He got a part in Band of Brothers, uh, uh, and the episode that he was in uh, was going to be directed by Tom Hanks, which made him very, very excited. But a couple of days before. Uh, before filming started, word came down from the producer that he'd been fired. Uh, Tom Hanks had seen his audition tape and had decided he's, he had dead eyes. <laughs> right. I thought that might've so, been
0: quite useful for band of brothers.
2: <laughs> but, uh, but the, it's a fascinating uh, show. It's uh, the premise is he, he's obviously trying to get Tom Hanks to come on the show and explain why he, he fired him. But it's, uh, I think it's the third series that just started and it's essentially a show about acting and the life of an actor. Uh uh, and just how, you know, how tough it is, you know, additions, rejection, basically the, the life of an actor is it, just a life of re- rejection, unless you're one of the lucky ones. And he goes, he speaks to all kinds of people, uh, you know, casting directors, producers, uh, and people involved. What's happened because the show is a bit of a hit, uh, you know, a kind of an underground hit. He's he's had people from Band of Brothers come on and explain, you know, the, you know, the casting director who actually... Hired him. Came on to explain why she had hired him in the first place, but but couldn't explain why he, he hadn't been fired. Anyway, the mystery continues. Three series in, uh, we still haven't got to the bottom of why Tom Hanks decided that Conor Radcliffe had de- had dead eyes. And you've another uh, one happened.
0: called Sway, which we yeah. have a clip from. So before we play the clip, tell us what this one is about.
2: Well, well, Kara Swisher, in my opinion, is the greatest the greatest living American journalist. She is a a hard hitting interviewer who, who whose main forte is the tech world. She has a, a, a podcast on the New York Times. And basically, she gets the, the, the behemoths of the tech world uh, to come on. Tim Cook was on quite recently, the CEO of Apple. And she just slaps them around. It's incredible. Uh, She's a brilliant, brilliant journalist who holds holds power to account. It's uh, a wonderful, can't recommend it highly enough, a really wonderful podcast.
0: Let's hear a little bit of where Kara Swisher on Sway interviews the composer Hans Zimmer about the Dune soundtrack.
1: Hans Zimmer, welcome to Sway. Thank you for having me. So let me start with Dune. Um, Can you go into sort of wanting to do this and why? Uh, Well, uh, the thing about Dune to a teenager I mean, it is an it's a life changing book for teenagers. Basically, um, it deals with family power struggle. It deals with fear. It deals with existentialism. It deals with um, how our world will be in the future. It deals, and it obviously, deals with global warming long before it seemed fashionable at the time, and it became such a leitmotif for my whole life, you know, it, it became it became very, very important. And and uh, knowing Denis This is Denis Villeneuve, who's the director of Doom. Right. Sorry. I should I should Mr. Villeneuve too. Yes. Um <laughs> but we are friends and I know his sensibilities and I, I could hear it in his voice that the movie he had imagined as a teenager was the movie I imagined as a teenager.
0: OK, that's from the podcast, Sway. Unfortunately, before the end of the programme, we've only got about six minutes. So we're going to have to race through a lot of these things. Yes, yeah,
2: sure. No Favourite movie? A local hero. No question. Uh, 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 Bill Forsyth, who just done uh, Gregory's Girl, then came out with this amazing movie about an American oil billionaire who wants to build a refinery in a, this beautiful, remote Scottish town. Uh, Sorry, uh, this is
0: so many years ahead of Donald Trump building golf courses and things like that in (laughs) Scotland.
2: I I swear to goodness. And what is amazing is the uh, it's so true to I'm very interested in peripheral economies. I have a a close connection with Donegal, for instance. uh, And what you find that the people who live in these peripheral economies often have a a very different idea to what... uh, what their life needs than say, you, you know, the environmental campaigners. I don't want to get too political. I know it's not political, but but you know what I mean? And local hero kind of touches on that because what happens is the American billionaire or his henchman comes and he falls in love and decides he doesn't want to build the, the refinery. Meanwhile the 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 locals want the refinery because they need some economic growth. So, you know, there's a little bit of that. But it's a beautifully shot movie and completely different to what we all expected from Bill Forsyth. And the, the soundtrack by Martin Offler is is uh, just wonderful.
0: And then uh, television. I'm um, just going to go back to your youth because you didn't have many choices, didn't watch much television as a young fella, <laughs> apparently. But you did nominate uh, Billy Connolly's first appearance in The Parkinson Show from 1978. So let's just hear that.
3: In Mike, you know, I, I spend about... Uh, about two thirds of my act talking about my childhood and various things that happened to me or to people around me. And a horrific thing happened to me one day. I was born in this tenement in Dover Street in Anderson in Glasgow, down at the Dockside. And about six years ago, five years ago, I was at a party in the house of a fella called Andy Moyes, a folk singer. And we were drinking an awful lot. And in the morning, I had a terrible hangover and I went over to his little sink at the window and it looked right onto the street I was born. I was washing my hands in a building I was born and fell down. <laughs> <laughs> they were demolishing the place, and it was only the front, but you couldn't see that from where I was, now. Crash. That <laughs> summed up exactly how I felt at the time. I wish born had fallen up. I thought it was the end of the world or something. But what, what, what sort of a childhood was it? It was, it was okay. It wasn't as rough as I say in my records and things. That was other guys. Like... at. It... <laughs> Yeah, like, we, we were quite well off, I suppose, compared to the rest of them. But the other guys were all pretty scruffy. And the big holes in the jumper, you know, and the jaggy back haircuts and the wellies. And <laughs> everybody was pretty awful. But we had about three adult wages coming into the house, you know. So it was fair enough for me. But it was it the things I sing about are things I saw when I was a kid. Yeah, it's like what? Well, just as I say, like, like the wellies and these maniac school teachers, you know. <laughs> These, you know, the middle class ladies come in and say, now, William, sit down and put your hands behind your back. It's so ideal like that. <laughs> you know, and I say, your writing's bad. I say, my hands are behind my back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Billy Connolly, uh, how important a uh, cultural thing was he for somebody growing Huge. up in Scotland?
2: Huge. Uh, b- because the BBC was a this, you know, remote you know, institution. You know, full of posh people, and and to see, uh, we were so proud of Billy Connolly, eh? Because he was a, just a brilliant comic, actually a great musician as well. But uh, you know, and to see him on the, you know, and, and knock it out of the park, and and to 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 not compromise. I mean, i have listened to him there, and I'm still laughing. And you know not to compromise on the way he spoke. You could tell he was quite nervous. Listen, listening back. I mean, I watch that often, and you, but it was a really big, you know, big moment for us. Uh, in the kind of central belt of Scotland uh, because we'd kind of conquered the Citadel, you know, this you know, remote BBC thing and uh, it was uh, uh, it was a big moment and people, but Connolly is beloved I think of any public figure in Scotland over the last 30, 40, 50, I mean Connolly is, is right up there I'm, I'm struggling to think of somebody who is more beloved uh, and, you know, which was the reaction to, you know, you announced he was kind of, you know, at Parkinson's recently and, you know, people are, are devastated, uh, you know, and whenever, you know, whenever he comes up, you know, he, I guess, as I say, he is utterly beloved. And, and it started with that, that appearance on the Parkinson's show.
0: You are in common with so many people have nominated as your current favourite as uh, Succession, which, of course, also has yeah. a Scottish actor at the helm. I'm not sure many people realise that Logan Roy played by Brian Cox, a Brian Cox is from Dundee.
2: Yes. Well, there was, I think, in series two, they had the big trip to the the V&A in Dundee. Beautiful, a beautiful building. Actually, I've been there myself. Uh, If you're playing golf at St Andrews, you can nip over for the afternoon to go to the V&A. Yeah, it's it's really hard to write TV shows about TV shows. I I, I mean, Aaron Sorkin uh, did it. who Aaron Sorkin wrote The uh, wrote The West Wing and he tried it. Uh, he actually had a couple of shows about TV shows. He did one called Sports Night and he did one called uh, Newsroom. But Succession, um, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about the morning show, sorry. But Succession, yeah, it's a brilliantly funny show. I don't know if you saw the latest episode of The no, weekend. No, don't. Matt. I actually so, didn't
0: get a chance to watch it yet, uh, uh, so uh,
2: don't give anything away, please. I'm watching it tonight. Uh, Yeah. So uh, really, uh, it's just uh, very funny. uh, And again, obviously, closely, you know, paralleling the Murdoch family, the two brothers and the sister. uh, Really, uh, a really funny and and, and wise show. The other one I I, I did mention was The Morning Show, which I was getting confused about. But again, The Morning Show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, a, a, a phenomenal show about a TV show. All right,
0: listen, unfortunately, we're not going to get time to get to your favourite author, Tom Perotto. Is that how I pronounce it? No,
2: Tom Tom, Tom Perrotta, yeah. The Steinberg of, the Steinbe- the Steinberg of uh, suburbia, so.
0: Okay, well, I must check him out because you've given me lots of things to go back and listen to in particular and see. Lawrence Donegan, it's been great talking to you about something entirely different to golf, but I look forward to talking to you about golf again many times in years to come here on The Last Word. It's been great having you on The Culture Club. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me, Matt. All the best, mate. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30.